I'm Max Temkin. And I'm Patrick Lovick. And this is episode 20 of Rewatch Podcast. This week we're watching episode 20 of Lost, The Greater Good. It is our second Saeed episode. Uh, this week's episode is brought to you by Seanimals. Seanimals is a town of huggable ninjas, mustaches with mustaches, and adorable pet dumplings. Rediscover your imagination with Seanimals Toys and Games. Uh, thank you, Sean, for sponsoring our podcast. And thank you for Dave Lang for not sponsoring our podcast. That's the, I mean, really, it's like two favors in one. Yes, he took Dave's way better. He took Dave's spot and oh, he sponsored our podcast. Fantastic. Uh, if you guys are not familiar with Seanimals, and sadly, um, Seanimals, I feel like it's, it's people in Chicago know it, but maybe not in, in the greater world. There, uh, it's our friend Sean Smith, who Patrick knows from uh, EGM. Yes, days. he was an EGM uh, editor back in the 90s and early aughts, and then uh, came back to Chicago when EGM and all that stuff moved to San Francisco. Um, but uh, so Sean has gone on to make, um, kind of as a hobby, but also as a pretty successful business, this line of sort of designer toys. And they are fucking adorable. I love these things. And I kind of collect them, and we have a big Seanimals, like, mural in our office, and uh, I really, really love these things. And they have their own world, which I think is a little bit different than a lot of what you see, like, sort of one-off uh, vinyls and plushies and things like that, that uh, they're just sort of characters. But, like, Sean, over the years, has built, like, the this little uh, ninja town, right, yep. like, is, is what it's yep. called. Uh, there was actually a, a really excellent uh, tower defense game uh, for the Nintendo DS yes. uh, made uh, based on Ninja Town, uh, and a pretty decent iPhone game. Uh, that was made that, uh, for it as well. I got very addicted to that iPhone uh, game for a while. The the jumpy. Yeah. 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 And kind it's just neat because it, it makes it, – it's, you know, it doesn't have like lore. That's like too heavy of a word. But it's like they inhabit a little world and it, it kind of gives it a depth that is a little bit different yeah. than that and stuff. Also just I as a designer uh, – and these are these toys are kind of like – I would say they're definitely like maybe more well-known in like the design world as being kind of like design objects. But um, they're handmade. They're really nicely made. Um, but, uh, really, really good gifts, really fun for kids. And, uh, if you're just like a design nerd like myself, like super nice vinyl toys and uh, plushies. Anyway, uh, heartily recommend the, uh, Seanimals family of products. All right. Uh, we have a big episode. Uh, we got to talk about, uh, the greater good. A lot to talk about in this episode. I didn't really remember anything about this one. No, I don't also remember what the next episode is about either. Like, no. I know the like, Exodus, and right. but there's just been these these blank spots uh, in my memory, despite the fact that I've seen these episodes, I guess you know, a half a dozen times, it, probably. Me too, and I think it's like, at this point in the season, I usually just, I'm so amped up to go from Deus Ex Machina to Exodus. Like, raft! Raft! Yeah. Raft! Like, <laughs> that's all I can think in my head. <laughs> Like a child. See, I'm like, I'm like, hatch, hatch. Yeah, hatch. It's the same thing. When yeah. it's just like you, you wrap your head around these moments that you remembered because you're thinking of the series in retrospect, as opposed to uh, sort of like the beats along the way. Yeah, um, definitely, um, I can relate to that. And I, I, it's crazy. I remember. I really don't remember almost anything about these episodes, and they're great. I. This is this, another good one. On this kind of, it's kind of a slower, more you know, deliberate viewing of Lost. And I, these episodes are really doing it for me. Um, the ones that I bl- kind of blew past the first few times I watched it. Uh, all right, well, before, oh, and then also we are going to talk about the Javier Grillo Mark Shush uh, article. Yep. Um, okay, you know, I'm going to open this up before we even move on. Um, yeah, wrote a, wrote a long piece. Says, I think it's like eighteen thousand words. I says think on his we- okay, it says on his website he was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and his name is pronounced Javier Grillo Marxwatch. So Javier Grillo Marxwatch. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's how we're going to say it. 
So um, he was a writer on season one of Lost, as it turns out. A- season two as well. And season two. He left after season two. Um, <clears throat> as it turns out, a critically important writer. He was involved in a lot of the... It's called it the Think Tank. Yeah. So basically, while J.J. Uh, uh, Abrams and Damon Lindelof were breaking the pilot for Lost, they were essentially tasked with coming up with, like, stories for the characters and uh, coming up, starting to think about the, the broader mythology. Like, they're basically, we need a bunch of people thinking about the stuff that we're going to have to build off of once this pilot is written. Yeah. And, you know, we've, in the course of doing this podcast, I think one of the central, like, thesis questions that we've come back to every episode is, like, we're, we're trying to get inside the minds of the writers and the creative minds who made this show uh, and think about um, what did they know when they made this and when were they making decisions and how are they trying to balance the character stories with the uh, mythology on the island and what was it like to make all this stuff on network TV? Just, you know, what is the mental wh- – like where is the mental state of the writers on this thing and how are they balancing all of these sort of spinning plates in season one? And he has written this article. It came out a few weeks ago and it really directly answers a lot of our big questions. It kind of feels right that this thing came out as we're kind of getting towards the end of uh, you know, the, uh, the lost uh, uh, season here. Well, and, and he, he tackles the very essential conceits and criticisms of uh, did the writers know what they were doing? Did they have a plan? And yeah. you know, he has like tons of answers to that, both that are like broadly speaking about how you break stories and how you write for TV, which is like sort of yeah. yes and no. And yeah. then, but then he very specifically goes into explaining, uh, and, and you know, we're going to end up transitioning this conversation to spoiler chat because there's a lot of what he talks about that's really interesting. You know, about very specific characters and story arcs that. Uh, folks have talked about for a long, long time that he, you know, breaks down and says like, "This is what we were thinking at the time. These words were uttered." Which I think for any Lost fan, you look back and the most you can ask for is that they had sort of an idea of where it was going. And um, I, I, I don't think you can come away from reading this article and not feel better about. You know, you can still disagree with where they went. And and even he says he left over the second season and didn't watch the show again until the series finale. Which like how like how could you? Do, I don't know how you could do that. Like I don't. <laughs> that's no. that's that's wild to me. But um, you know, I, I think any fan of Lost should uh, you know if you're listening to this podcast, you know whether uh, if you're caught up or not, um, you know, definitely not read it till you've watched the rest of the show. But uh, highly recommend. Yes, yeah, uh, filled with spoilers. I wish we had. Uh, <laughs> I wish we had uh, flagged that a little bit more last week, but. Uh, so we're yeah. So anyway, stick around after the after the episode. The way it works is uh, after the theme music uh, on a, on a, on a on an episode like this where we have stuff to talk about. Uh, uh, after the theme music, we'll come back and we'll talk about stuff with spoilers in it. So if you've seen Lost, stick around and we'll we'll pick through some of our favorite parts of that article and and talk about what that means. Um, all right, Patrick, I you I gotta get you before we get too far into this episode. Yep. Uh, oh, sorry, one more thing. No guests this week. No guests. Just the just the love between the two hosts. Exactly. Uh, you've got to tell this story about Esteban, the Amiibo prophet. Esteban. This is a great article. Uh, it was a story I wrote for Kotaku, uh, went up, uh, last week. Uh, and it's a website about, you, uh, uh, video, video games, games uh, okay. ostensibly. Um, and sometimes, um, anyway, so I've been following, I don't collect them, but these Amiibos or Amiibo, uh, the Amiibo community is very specific in wanting to refer to them as singular and plural, um, when you call them Amiibo. 
Um, anyway, the Amiibo are these little NFC-enabled uh, figurines that you can use to unlock stuff in Nintendo games. But they're like really high quality and like they're they're really nice figures and they don't cost that much. I think they're like ten bucks or something like that for for a single one. So they're not really outrageous. Um, and I kind of follow those communities because they're just they're so enraptured with this stuff and. It's unlike a lot of other things in which it's like, oh, I want the Mario Amiibo. I'll just go on Amazon and order it. Like, no. Like, there's a whole, you have to follow the pre-order culture, and you have to be there on, like, day one when they're going on order. Like, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, um, there's the next wave of these Amiibos that are coming out in the next month or so. And I started noticing in one of the Reddit threads that a lot of people were like, praise be to Esteban. <laughs> like, all hail Esteban. The prophet has arrived. And I was like, what the f- what are they talking about? And like Reddit's like a little bit difficult to like work your way backwards from a conversation to figure out like where something uh, culturally originated from. And so I started messaging some different Reddit users and like kind of working my way through. And as it turns out, there was someone who talked to an Amazon customer service rep. And this customer service rep was named Esteban. <laughs> we don't know if it's true or not. I am convinced it's false. It doesn't matter. The story is still funny regardless. But someone posted this. And Esteban, like in the Amazon... Uh, conversation says like because the, the kid is asking like i need to like dude i need to know when these amiibos go on sale and he's like i talked to my friend <laughs> thursday 12 p.m <laughs> and the guy's like oh my god thank you so he posts this conversation to reddit and then immediately all the comments are like dude you're gonna get that guy fired and so then he takes it down puts up a new version of the amazon conversation but with esteban's name removed uh-huh. so now it's colored out okay and uh, a bunch of people were kind of like, this sounds like BS, um, but they're just, then there just became this cult around this Esteban figure and, like, Esteban's prophecy is coming true. And, and so, like, in, like, the daily threads that were, like, here's what's happening in Amiibo News, at the bottom would be, like, Esteban's prophecy. And, and then there would be, like, links to, like, <laughs> a future other people who had talked to other Amazon customer service reps who then were confirming the date. And they were called the disciples of Esteban. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were other people who were uh, like the archangels who were other Amazon customer service reps who were saying different dates. And clearly all of these are probably just faked Photoshop conversations. And yet these people are so desperate for information about the Amiibos, the Amiibo, um, <laughs> that uh, – It's like Lego. Like, yeah. It's like you have, one, still, you have one box of Lego. People still call it Legos. Though. I have 20 Lego. That sounds stupid. I'm saying me both. Cheese it is the same way. You eat 100 cheese it. Is it really? Yeah. Ugh, that's yeah. stupid. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, horrible so, snack too. Uh, so there's, yeah, this cult of Esteban uh, kind of uh, crept up, and then like right around the time that uh, all these pre-orders went, uh, were supposedly going to go on sale. Uh, everyone was very upset on Twitter and cursing Esteban for, for so false profit. Have did you reach out to Amazon for a comment? They commented. So this is this is what ended up the reason I ended up like really chasing this story was because in Amazon Games, which is like a separate Twitter account about like the deals that are having on Amazon, <clears throat> um, like an hour after all this happened, and like Reddit and NeoGaf and these other places were all like make cracking jokes about Esteban and pissed that they didn't go on sale. Amazon Games tweeted out "Meet Esteban." It was just a photo of like. Uh, like a hen or something like that. I don't know. It was just some figure that was in their office. Um, and there's like, and that was just them sort of like winking at the community about they had been following. That's funny. I don't know that I've ever heard Amazon like make a joke or be funny. Their sub accounts are different than like their main stuff. Like their, their sub accounts are a little cheekier than, than anything else and have a little, I, uh, I guarantee you, I think that's also a result of they bought Twitch. So I think that, the game stuff specifically may feel uh-huh. like they have to be a little more personable than hmm. the other stuff. 
I uh, I guarantee you that those Amazon uh, chat things are 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 artificial uh, intelligences. Maybe I think some of them are people, and then some, uh, then a lot of them are, are stuff maybe like that. Like point, I, I've talked to a human before on there, and like he was like it was actually like a really pleasant. Like it was. It's why when I read the chat, I was like, I have had a customer service rep who like we actually just had like a straight up conversation, partially through the chat. But I mean, I think at a certain point. It, I think it, uh, they all start as an AI, and maybe at a certain point it switches you over to a human. A human, if it can't answer, if it's having difficulty, mm. like parsing your question. But I, it's, I can't believe that there's a human being doing all of those live chats for Amazon. Like it just must be. It's the Amazon way that they would trick you into talking. To they a have robot. those uh, on the Amazon Fire, though. They have that button that connects you to a lot. Have you, you know about this? Mm, no. So on the Amazon Fires, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a button that you press, and within 30 seconds, you are connected over video to a uh, Amazon rep that will help you with whatever your problem you're having on the Amazon Fire. So it might actually all be humans if they're willing to guarantee wow. as That's part a of their lot service. Of people. Well, I don't know how much the Amazon Fire sells, so it might not be. I mean, it's a lot of people. It, it, it's the same team that's doing all the Amazon. Think of all the people who have problems with Amazon that, that want to chat with someone. Yeah. It's a lot of people. It might just be humans. Wow. Anyway, it's a funny story. It's it's if you want to see like sort of how a joke becomes a meme and then like turns around, goes up its own ass. Uh, it's a, I, uh, it's a we, pretty good. We will put story. the uh, the Esteban story in this week's show notes. And the name Esteban. I don't know. There's just something about it that it it's just so implies good. like it's so good. Something about mystery and just ugh. It's, it's just, lost esque. It's like you know you have um, to spread the ashes in a circle, or Esteban, Esteban will uh, will escape. Esteban. Don't believe his lies. All right, we will put uh, this story in the show notes. The show notes for this episode and every episode are available at rewatchpodcast.com, and you can read uh, the, uh, the story, which is called Amiibo Has a False Prophet, and his name is Esteban. All right, let's do some uh, follow-up. We have a couple of emails this week. Uh, Brayden writes in. <clears throat> I don't like that name, Brayden. Brayden, you want to be like Brendan? I don't know. Brendan or Brandon or Brayden feels like it's missing a letter. Uh, hey, Max and Patrick. In response to an email you read on the show two weeks ago, I'd briefly like to share my experience of watching Lost at an upsetting young age of nine or ten. <laughs> what, I feel what, bad what, that I bullied him about his name. What, if, what, what, is that? what does it mean, upsetting young age? Upsetting? Is nine or ten just an upsetting age? Yeah. It sucks Generally to be speaking, nine. It sucks to like be nine. Like you're not quite a teenager? Well, yeah. You're not like a kid that everyone thinks you're adorable, but also you're not old enough to do anything. and You're sort of an idiot and you don't really know how the world works. Okay. All right. Continue. I started watching the show in 2007. Uh, my oldest brother, probably in middle school, got really into the show from a friend of his, and this eventually trickled down to me. I was tantalized about my slightly older stepbrother describing the smoke monster, the absolutely terrifying things that happened in that show. Needless to say, I got really into it. I was really into it the way a kid gets really into things. I slowly accumulated all of the DVDs. I've probably watched a good number of the episodes for the first three seasons five or six times. Lost, in a weird way, was perfect for a kid. The show was chock full of crazy mysteries that I could just not get over. I also had no real taste. <laughs> <laughs> so all of the really bad stuff in the show went over my head. I had a weird crush on a character we haven't met yet for a while. I don't even know what that means. <clears throat> um, revisiting this show has been kind of shocking. So many of the plots are downright disturbing, and there is no real justification for a 10-year-old <laughs> learning about heroin addiction and all of this stuff. Uh, That's I'm not really great. sure what to do with this email. Braden. I'm sorry that you had this bad experience. Um, but I, sh- I think that's fascinating to, you know, and also, I guess so much stuff must have just gone over his head. Like, I wonder what your nine or 10 year old self even thought of a heroin addiction. Like, what did you think that was? 
Like sugar? Is he like, oh, that just happens when I have too many Butterfingers? So, I mean, for me, Pulp Fiction came out about when I was that age. I was, you saw that? I saw it at a friend's sleepover, and it was a situation what where What did you think like, about the basement scene? Uh, I didn't fully understand didn't just it. I, well, I just was like, they're going to torture this guy. Okay. I was All like, right, sure. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah I didn't really you know, Anal it. rape didn't really register. <laughs> it was just like, it was a bad thing is going to happen yeah, to this okay. guy. All and, right. Yeah. You know, and it read, the whole movie just reads as way more of like a dumb, a dumb, you know, fuck yeah action movie when you're a sure. kid. It's not. It functions as both. There's no, you're not picking up on a lot of the like artistry or the filmmaking of it or anything. But anyway, yeah, it was one of those scenarios where like I was at a sleepover and one of the kids had like Pulp Fiction on a VHS tape and he's like oh shit i got this movie and we're not supposed to see it and let's you know we're gonna watch it and i was the scared i was scared to watch it so i was like mm. ah why don't we watch uh why don't we watch something else like let's watch uh you know some comedy uh we got all these uh, great comedy uh, uh vhs cassettes we could watch how about an old star trek episode and it was like <laughs> no let's watch the cool movie and then i like watched it through my i kept my hands over my eyes and i watched it through my hands see my parents would just let me watch whatever i wanted and then they would re- deeply regret it when it had like some sort of impact the next day but like for example jaws uh, it was like a we'd gone up to uh, some lake house and it was rainy so we couldn't go out and like do things outside so they went to like the video store and rented all the Jaws films and we watched all of them and I enjoyed them at the time except it ruined all of the lake stuff for like the next <laughs> several days because <laughs> none of the kids wanted to go in the water I could not go no, in a swimming pool as a kid because I was scared oh of, I was convinced uh, the Jaws was going to come through the pipe didn't um, make any sense. I even knew it at the time. I'm like, I can see everything. There's no shark. Doesn't matter. I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it. Uh, so I got it. This reminds me of something hilarious that I discovered recently. Do you know about uh, parent previews or like 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 fan uh, fan ratings? That they do. They're, so there's these communities of people where they like. Oh go, yeah, like they the like, ones that are like they're like uh, religiously conscious that will yeah. take out the. Uh, so so they go through these basically movies, hotel edits. Sort of, but it's not edits. It's that they go through the movies and they give parents more specific ratings. Like it's like these like communities where they like rate movies more specifically than you would get on um, say like you know just the MPA like R rating. I think that's awesome. I, there was a podcast I was listening to at some point that. I think it was uh, John Gruber's The Talk Show. They were talking about it, in which, while, you know, may disagree with some of the premise of where this comes from, which is like, you know, some religious groups that, you know, object to certain uh, sex and violence in, in films, I think it arose out of a conversation of like what PG 13 and R actually mean. Right. Like, in that if you actually knew what like the context of sex was in some films, it's like, well, whatever. Like, my kid can handle that. Because, like, it's just like when you just say sex or violence, that doesn't mean but like i'm lot. I'm looking at like they're, they're just hilarious like i'm looking at this thing uh th- i'm looking at the parent preview for paul blart mall cop 2 and yep. it's got a complete list of every objectionable thing in paul blart mall cop 2 so I think that's like, awesome actually i think that's really neat oh i hate this it's like limited embracing some kissing mild profanity infrequent portrayals of alcohol mm-hmm. drunkenness but little detail shown some substance abuse so See, i don't mind that so silly all right. Um, this also, I, by the way, I mean, it, it's so funny that it like speaks to our temperaments. That like, even as a kid, you like you would go watch Jaws. Mm-hmm. Like, I you couldn't pay me to watch Jaws as a kid, and I still don't like. I can't watch scary things. It's yeah, still was, too much yeah, for me. Yeah, my, I hated my, that my stuff. wife and I were both exposed to uh, horror stuff. I would, Jaws is a horror film. I would consider it that uh, really early in 
early in our development. Oh. Really, did, really just. Did you see the video that was deconstructing the the no, shot of No, I have it in my pocket. I need to. Oh pocket, man, it's I, good. I mean, the software application, not like literally in my pocket. So what is it? It's on your phone, which is uh, literally in your pocket. That's what I, I guess. That's there. true. Yeah. No, but po- I use pocket to save videos. You know, you use Instapaper. Yeah. So it's, it's pocket is like videos. Instapaper for video. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. It's nice when I like to see like well, like the the jaws. So what Max is referring to is a video that deconstructs the scene where they yell "shark" uh, early on in in Jaws. Yeah, and it's like fifteen minutes of explaining why it's like so well executed. So it's like you know I can watch like a three or four minute video during my work day, but it's like I'm, I don't really have fifteen minutes to watch a Jaws video, so I use Pocket, and then I watch it on my Apple TV later. I, uh, I can't find this, uh, the link to this, but I'm going to go ahead and put it in the show notes. It's really good. It's a nice, uh, a really nice, like, you know, if you're, if you're, presumably if you're, like, listening to this podcast and you're interested in how really great uh, filmmaking and media gets made, um, definitely recommend this. It's like a little breakdown of a scene and how the camera work builds suspense and shows you what all the characters know and don't know. Really, really smart stuff. Um, did, you, did you buy a watch? Oh, yeah. Okay. I bought an Apple watch. Right, did you? Too. Yeah. Yeah? What'd you get? You got the, two? Oh, for one, you and Katie. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know. We, no, two for yourself? I'm sorry. I didn't want to yeah, one, one in my left hand and one in my right hand. Well, you, uh, got, a, uh, you got a day watch and a night watch. You always want to be on exactly. offense, never on defense. Um, it, uh, it seems like it's a, a device that is aided or more interesting with another person because of the touch stuff. Um, well, yeah, and, I'll be uh, watch buddies with you. I'll send you my heart rate. Tap, 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 yeah. tap, tap. Uh, and uh, I, me and my wife were both looking for fitness devices. So if at the very at the, at the very least we overpaid for fitness devices, that's not the end of the world. But uh, I think it's interesting. I think that stuff's going in a direction that will affect all of us, whether you think the Apple Watch is interesting or not. That's I, fair. But uh, <clears throat> so I bought. Every, I got, everyone is going to have wearable devices at some point. So I'm a, like I'm, a uh, I'm a whore. So I'll buy anything with a glowing Apple logo mm-hmm. on it. I will immediately spend whatever money is required to yep. have it the day that it comes out. So I woke up last night. I set my alarm. So you, I, well, I just stayed up. I played Dark Souls. Oh, that was smart. I, I was here like putting out an, uh, like the alarm went off and I had to come deal with an alarm here. It was a pain in the ass. But anyway, so I, uh, yeah, I, I got up, got myself up and uh, ordered the watch. Did you buy I have never used the App Store, no. the Apple Store app to buy a thing. It was amazingly simple. It was frightening how easily I spent like 500 bucks. Yes, I spent, like, I spent just under $1,000 in under a minute using only my thumb. Yep. It was I, like you opened it up. It said, "What watch do you want?" Click, pre-order. Click, touch ID. Hold down. You're good. And I was like, "Oh, that's 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 dangerous." <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, you go out drinking. You're like, "Yeah, I'm gonna get that oh, solid no, gold uh, no. Apple Watch." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I got the. Uh, um, I wanted to get the sport one, but by the time I had gotten on the store, it was already the sport one was already shipping in June. Yeah. So it was immediately sold. You must have been. On it. Oh yeah, no, I was sitting there refreshing it. Yeah, I got two sport ones. Okay, um, I was the, like, a, I was the... like five minutes late, so I got, so I wound up because uh, I just because I want to get it uh, when everyone else does. Uh, stainless steel. Yeah, I got the metal one with the magnet loop. I didn't get any anything but the the normal white band because I want to see what it looks like. And so Alex, how... so Alex and I went to uh, the, the Apple Store. We I made an appointment to go like play play with the watches. So we went at uh, this afternoon to the Apple Store. And oh, you, so you used one? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. They are so nice. Okay. And the plastic band is amazing. That's what I've heard. So that's why I stuck with the white one, and it's like, then I'll figure out... The plastic band... If I like it, then I'll go spend money on an actual band. It feels like... Not pr- like plastic. Premium as hell. Like plastic is like a derogatory term yeah, it's to a, what that actually it's is. A, I, I really don't have almost anything to describe. It's a material that I have not felt before, and I don't have anything to describe it. Uh, uh, to compare it to, and it just feels great. It was extremely comfortable. 
and uh, that watch, as nice as you're imagining it to be, it's like three times nicer. What's the show um, about? Lost? Oh, yeah. Do you do the next uh, follow-up? Let's see. So we had, we had Braden. Uh, uh, da, da, da. James. It's quite a while since I watched Do No Harm, but from memory, isn't the leg-cutting machine one of the overhead storage compartment areas? Isn't it the door you slide closed to keep your bags from falling out? Uh, yeah, I, I think we knew that part. I think our larger question was, why the hell is it there? <laughs> <laughs> How did it get there? Um, which is weird. Ba, ba, ba. Let's see. Da, da, da. You read that one. And then uh, we had uh, something from Twitter from uh, Corey Loosely. Wait. Iron Galaxy is a sponsor now. Unsubscribe. Joker left dive kick and looking forward to video. Oh, what a Damn boy. It. I mean, we got so pay, close. We got, we got, so pay, we got close. Dave Lang's money. We got paid by Dave, but at what cost? We lost uh, Corey. Wow. Sorry, Corey. We let you down. We'll, uh, I'll burn the money. No, <laughs> no Drew follow up. No Drew. Let us know, Drew. What's going on? Please. We have to know. What'd you do this weekend? All right. How do you want to talk about this episode? We, let's mm. do the flashback first because that was yep. a st- dumb story. So the uh, the flashback is... Oh, this, I don't know if it was dumb. Uh, you do it then. I, I didn't like it. So you, you, you're you going to sell it better. Oh, well, basically, Saeed uh, is recruited by, what, the CIA, the FBI? CIA. Um, yeah. Because she, the lady says, uh, I'm from Central Intelligence. Okay. I, don't know, I, was, I was putting together a desk while I was watching this episode. Um, What'd you get? I got a cheap Ikea desk. The Gallant? I have no idea. I don't know. Katie pointed at a box. I opened it up and I put it together. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, basically, they want him to infiltrate a potential terrorist cell uh, in Sydney, Australia. Um, and he is asked to do that in exchange for getting information about Nadia. Um, and so he decides to do that. So he goes to Sydney and then, like, meets up with... Oh, and the reason they're recruiting him is not just because, like, hey, you're Arab, but, like, he knows he's good friends with, um, or was good friends with one of the folks that are involved in this terrorist cell. So he heads there to kind of infiltrate the group and, uh, you know, kind of come out with information about Nadia. I don't know. I, th- I think it's not necessarily... Uh, well, a, what did we learn about Saeed, and what did we learn about how it ha- what it has to do on the island? I don't know if that I don't know if it was useful in that regard. So was I just it thought, just, I just, was thought it just I, a story? Two stories being told at the same time. Why were we watching this story? That's I my problem with feel it. Feel like it was mostly just two stories being told at the same. Okay, time. I Cause didn't, because this episode's really not about Saeed. No, and it doesn't. It didn't really inform Saeed's actions on the island. Like I thought, maybe you know, it's like he. Boy, I don't know. It's like, is it that he learned to not trust his friends? I don't know if it has to have a point. Is like a, I don't know. I just thought it was like an interesting story. Like, hmm. I, I, in some <clears throat> ways, it doesn't bother me that they just decided to tell a story about Saeed rather than let's tell a story about Saeed and have it have a point that is directly correlated to what's happening and the events on the island. Um, Maybe there's something there that we're not picking up on if, if people are listening and they have something that maybe there's a thread we were not pointing to um, that maybe makes more sense. But um, I don't know. I, I didn't I – didn't, I thought it was fine. I didn't, I didn't think it was aggressively good or bad, but uh, I, thought it was, I thought it was fine. I don't know. Maybe it shows in some ways how he compromises. Like mm-hmm. he sort of essentially comp- – you know, he's kind of a – he convinces his, that dude to like go through with it and the guy shoots himself. That's not great. Uh, I I just didn't care. I didn't care about the guy and his creepy uh, Elijah Wood eyes. You didn't like that they were playing Half Life. I put a, a note. I a put a note on this because uh, they're like, you can't use a crowbar on the zombies, dude. Yeah, it's like it only works on the big zombies, not the bugs. Hey, and it's I, like, 
I hold on. So yeah, yeah there's a little bit of kind of shittiness there, but. In the pantheon of mm-hmm. how video games are featured mm-hmm. in television, yes, uh, that is probably one of the better instances. Yeah, he's a not, they're using the right sound. He's effects. not like inside the game or something. You know, it's or like, yeah. what they will often do is they will have a guy like whipping his arms around, going like, "Oh man, I'm in the video game," and yeah. and then they're like. The TV screen is showing like an advanced 3D game, but then it's just pong sound effects. There's a video did game. They not, didn't they put the video game in there to be like, look at these violent killers? They're pu- they're shooting people so. in a video they're game. Sh- they're shooting head crabs from Half Life, and they're using the actual sound effects from Half Life. You and I using think- a PlayStation controller, and that game did come out uh, on the PS2. So <laughs> I like, you know what? It could have been worse. Do you remember that when they? Qu- that was my question, by the way. It was it was definitely Half Life? Do you remember? Yeah, not Half Life Two. Okay. Because uh, Half Life Two didn't come out on the, on uh, they came out on 360 and PS3. Okay. Um, do you remember like Rage, the game that they had in Breaking Bad? Oh yeah, that was bad. Yeah, video games are not represented well <laughs> when they're in television shows. Usually. What about uh, what about on? Do you watch House of Cards? Where they yes. had the Stanley Parable, and it was like, what is this? Oh, I haven't, mean? Got, I haven't gotten that far. They, they play the, the Stan- new season. Spoiler, yeah. they play the Stanley Parable. No, I know. Parable. I already know that okay. stuff. Okay. Uh, that and uh, what's uh, Monument Valley? Monument Valley. I actually I think that stuff's pretty. Yeah. I, I, that's I because. Uh, that's I look forward to that more than I look forward to the crappy show that is now House of Cards. Yeah, that's because uh, Bo uh, Williamson, I think, is the guy at the showrunner and the writer for um, House of Cards, is just a huge like indie game fan. Yeah. And he just loves those games, I yeah. think, and wants to, wants to sort of feature Stop them. playing those games and write better scripts. But here's my thing is I think you and I – I think you look at those video games and you're like, oh, it's a guy playing a video game and it's somewhat realistic. But I think what they're communicating to the network TV audience is these are violent terrorists sure. shooting people with these guns. Maybe. Yeah. That's – they're like, look, at they're capable of murder. They're doing it's it not in that, video It's not game. that overt though. Usually if they – it's not a – he ran out of bullets. Or maybe yeah. they're trying to say, you know, he ran out of bullets because he used all of them because he's violent. St- they're scary video game men. They're shooting characters, and they feel like there's no uh, integrity in journalism. Jack Thompson. Yeah. Sure. I buy it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I don't think we need to spend much time on, on that story, because I, I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about there or much that says about Scythe's personality, but I don't know. I found it, in a, I found it relatively What happened with the C... By the way, what happened with the like C4? Saeed was in the van? Yeah. Okay, because you know that's the end of it. He blows his his friend blows his head off. And yeah, they, I mean, they, yeah, the CIA like the CIA pressures him into going through with it far enough. He has to convince his friend to actually go through with it or claim to be going through it so they can get the location of the C four because they don't reveal the location of the C four until. But it was in the van. Yeah. Okay. Because I think they're just going to go blow up the van. I think that was the. I just want to say that that on the part of the CIA that is a horrible, horrible plan. It seems ill-conceived. Like, the mentally unstable guy who they're tracking, and then they, like, add Saeed, who doesn't want to do it, and they're like, oh, we're going to put them in it. The they're going to have the C4, and they're our only way to stop this thing from being blown up. I mean, I guess what seems you... Seems like a terrible plan. I guess if you wanted to pluck what they were trying to talk uh, to about Saeed is that Saeed has a weakness, and it's... Uh, like, he, he's otherwise a total badass... They will do whatever needs to be done to get done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when it comes to women or, I guess, people he cares oh, about. Oh, that's a very dumb thing to have to say. But you're right. It is that. It's that he'll do – he'll betray his friends and he'll do the wrong thing for women. Yeah. But they, I don't think they belabor that point. I just think that if you right. want to extract something but from it – it, it does. Because I mean, that's, that's essentially what they end up doing at the end of the episode with between him and Locke. And that's essentially <clears throat> what he does Yeah, it does. It builds, it builds a lot of tension where he goes out with Locke where Shannon's like – 
Locke killed my brother. Take care of that for me, would you? Yeah. And like you, you do. I do. It was very uncomfortable. I felt like Saeed was going to like flip out and 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 kill Locke or something. Yeah. I mean, I I know that that didn't happen because I've seen this before, but uh, I, it's a lot of tension in that scene. Yeah. All right, on island. Let's see. You've got the uh, the, the various B stories. Those will be easy. So you've got uh, the baby mm-hmm. uh, is crying. Pretty good B story. Pretty funny, and you see all the different characters try their different things. Hurley sings the uh, James Brown song. What a good scene! And, yeah, it's like, hold on, time to pull up the big guns. Yeah, <laughs> I feel good. But like, also, I mean, it's, it, he's so bad at doing it too. Like, it's a really bad impression. It's terrible, and it's there's no way that that would ever calm a baby down either. Like, no baby would be comforted by Hurley like Ow! shouting. Yeah, like just. I Such a bad plan. would pay money to see like the raw outtakes from shooting that scene because yeah. like they probably did it. Like I always get the sense why, and maybe this is either uh, a credit to both of uh, those actors, but I always feel like they probably do a lot of improvising. I don't know, but it always like I always get this playful sense from when those two are doing stuff together um, uh, that. I just think it'd be a lot of fun to watch. I don't know. I, I it's been a long time since I've watched behind the scenes stuff. For mm-hmm. Lost, like I have all that stuff. I should go back and look. I don't think I've seen any of it. Are those like DVD features? Well, I have the huge Lost, um, like Blu-ray set. It's like one of the few like Blu-ray sets that I own. Like the thing that comes in the big box that I can't say because it spoils part of where the mythology goes. But oh um, yeah, weird. So like, weird I, that uh, you'd go buy that thing in a store. You'd walk by it. And it's ostensibly for someone who hasn't seen it, and it's a huge spoiler. Well, I don't know if it's a huge spoiler, but I, like, if you're listening to this, I, w- I wouldn't want to plant any seeds that because um, they haven't done that in the show quite yet. But anyway, it's in like encased in this big thing that it's really cool. I don't really own stuff anymore, but that lost set is fucking incredible. Um, all right, uh, is there another B story that I can't remember? Oh, the Jack one. So Jack is. Uh, uh, he, Still looking haggard. He looks like a crazy person, and he will not sit down, and Kate is being very sensible and saying, Jack, chill the fuck out, and he won't do it, and so she drugs him with sleeping pills. Well, and, but prior to that, the reason that she finally pulls uh, the trigger on this is because they're trying to have a funeral mm. for Boone. Um, which, and by, then, can I, I, have a, I wrote a note about this funeral, mm-hmm. which was, as they're... Preparing to bury Boone, they have him wrapped up in this blue tarp. Yep. And I was like, "Man, throw that perfectly good tarp away." <laughs> How many tarps do you have? Like a lot, listen, a lot. Listen, a lot of people are going to die. It's true. We have very few tarps. Yep. You cannot throw a tarp in the ground every time someone dies. Well, if and pe- by the way, they're burying these guys under like six inches of sand. Seems like that would still smell, wouldn't it? it did bugs? Beasts would. Descend on their bodies in- almost instantly. Yeah. Do you think they should have thrown them in the water? Uh, like put them on a like a like a log. Uh, See you, Boone. Pre- <laughs> put a note uh, on his body. I want to make a joke about that, but I can't yet. Oh, <laughs> it's a spoiler joke. It's a spoiler joke. <laughs> That's unfortunate. But think about what thing that a character that we haven't met yet says the island is like, and how funny it would be mm. if there were just a bunch of dead bodies out there. Okay. Sure, yeah, that, that, that would work. Yep. All right. <clears throat> this is terrible radio. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, what would I so do anyways, with the bodies? I would yeah. burn them. 
I would burn them. I honestly. Well, they burned a bunch of them, right? Yes. The original but that's bodies. That's the. I mean, it, not from a respect point of view, but just a sensible survival point of view. Like you do not want decaying corpses near where you're sleeping yeah. or burn the bodies. Yeah, that's that kind of sense. kind of the safest um, situation. So Ethan and Boone are both in the ground. Yes. Um, presumably, some other people have died. I mean, yeah. that we haven't seen. I don't know. They've been there for a few months. Probably. Uh, so yeah. So there's the <clears> funeral, <throat> and then Locke shows up, and he does not. It, it's a, such a great Locke scene because he shows up and like tries to explain himself. Yes. Like he's like Boone. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was in an airplane. He's a <laughs> yeah. hero. I, I realize I'm covered in blood. Um, like he's like staggering through the whole goddamn thing, and like constantly is just kind of standing, like, and everyone's in a circle too, and just he's staring he's at on the outside of the circle. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He's like Boone. He tried to get on the radio, but he didn't. But he's a hero. Yeah. And like he's covered in Boone's blood. Yeah. And just everyone's staring not, at him. It's, uh, as, as we say in politics, the optics are not great. Mm-mm. Just a blood-soaked man interrupting a funeral for a guy being like, I killed him, but he's a hero and he died for you. And uh, really? please don't be mad. Uh, I've yeah. been gone for 24 hours. Um, <laughs> yeah. Could have been thought through better. Well, and so then, yeah, obviously Jack is furious. Rightfully so. I think this is one of those times when, like, I think the... You know, whatever you think of Boone, um, that I think you were just as furious about how Locke handled the situation. I was not. I'm still under the Locke uh, spell at this Mm. point in the show, and I still think Locke is awesome, and he can do no wrong. And I think that if he had that vision, he should have gone on the plane, and I think that he should have told Boone to go up there, and Boone... But he shouldn't have left when Jack asked him what happened. Maybe he had some important hatch business to attend to. Like being like realizing he screwed up and that he doesn't want to confront anyone about what Maybe happened. He had to go eat some uh, spirit paste. Well, okay, if he, if he ate the spirit paste, then I'm, he had to, I, he had to go. Excused. He had to go partake of the uh, spirit paste. I don't know. I want some spirit paste. He, presu- he listen. He's a busy man. He's got. Well, he's got meetings. Yeah, he had an island meeting. Oh, his Apple Watch told him, "Hey, you got a meeting in the jungle. Go yeah. head over to the hatch." Apple Watch was coming out any minute. <laughs> he's not going to stick around. He's got to go get his pre order in. Yeah. You only get a signal over by the hatch. Sell out very quickly. Uh, so so that happens, and then like uh, basically Jack uh, jumps on top of Locke, uh, pummels him with his fists, and then uh, collapses. Like is incapable of actually sort of like completing the task of beating the shit out of uh, Locke. Um, yes. And so Locke kind of maneuvers himself away. Kate comes over, and people kind of grab him, and then it's kind of decided for the second time in the show, in the first season, that, hey, Jack, take a break, dude. So she does that by just straight up drugging him, which I thought was pretty clever. It, it was a nice, I like this plot point. Um, it really it really shows <clears throat> the power struggle between, you know, which this has sort of been in the background of the whole first season, but the power struggle of Jack and Locke over the sort of uh, who... Uh, who does the group respect? Uh, and they're both the kind of man who I think they feel like they want to be. It's not enough for them both to have respect. It's like they want to be the guy. They want to be the cool guy on, uh, the, on the island that's that's the leader and setting the direction of the group. And you know, I think you more more to directly to that point. Like Jack is still thinking about. Uh, I think Jack is still towards the side of finding a way to escape. He's uh, supportive of this uh, raft project, uh, etc. And uh, Locke is. M- Locke has decided he's staying on the island, and we even we find out uh, we got to get to this in a second. But we find out 
that he uh, uh, hit hit Saeed on the head when he was trying to turn the transmitter on. But did not light the raft on fire, which we knew. Right. But Right. Uh, well, yeah, it seems like Jack is basically backing into being a leader because he disagrees with Locke as opposed to Locke wanting to be a leader because he finds himself able to fill a vacuum. Yeah. Um, and so both of them are kind of going into that role, but for different reasons. Like ah. Jack is a reluctant leader as opposed to Locke, who is sort of a, a forceful leader. Before we get too deep into this, I had one more note about the funeral, which was really funny, which is, so he, Jack is uh, like, does anyone have anything they want to say about uh, uh, Boone? And Boone's a turd, and no one wants to say anything. And someone's, he's like, Shannon? And Shannon's like, no. And then Saeed gives I a little thing, and them. he's like, weird. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, I said that out loud. <laughs> uh, a lot of people on the island like know that too, which is kind of a weird. Th- like, doesn't Saeed kind of know a little bit about uh, it? He knows. Well, that they've said that like, oh, he's Locke kind of in knows. love with me. Yeah, Locke knows. Yeah, a lot of people know. It's kind of weird. You shouldn't have done this, Shannon. You're kind of responsible for a lot of his fucked up mental. <laughs> That's yeah. Uh, you anyway, open the, you open that door. Uh, sh- so Saeed starts to give the uh, a eulogy. And he's like, early on, someone was drowning, and Boone was the first one who jumped in the water to help but her. Didn't Boone like start drowning? Yeah. So the reason, <laughs> and he's like, and she died, and Boone tried to save her. But the reason she died is because Jack, who knew how to swim, had to go fucking save Boone, and that woman died. So yeah. even at his own funeral, the mm. one thing someone can say about him, like being not a turd, it's a prime example of him being a turd. And also, it's it's just like when Side like ends with that sort of like. I, he just kind of like looks around. And is like, well, it's all I got. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, Boone. I think to most of the group, he was a little bit of an outsider. He definitely had the closest relationship, you know, obviously other than with Shannon, uh, with Locke. Yeah, I mean, Locke could have given a good eulogy had right. he, you know, not been ostracized and also responsible for his death. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and Locke was circumstances in that, in were just slightly different. So the uh, the meat of the episode after this goes down, Shannon. Uh, 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 g- has a talk with Locke. Locke tries to explain himself to, Shan- uh, to Shannon. Locke gives uh, Shannon uh, something. The bag. Like the bag. Yeah, Boone's bag, which we I don't know. I didn't look through it. We don't know I what's didn't in look there. through it. Uh, Found it in the banyan tree. <laughs> uh, it's a nice backpack, though. Not, yeah, a nice, sure. not a lot of nice backpacks on that island. Right. I'd be happy to have the backpack. Uh, so then uh, Shannon goes to Saeed and goes, Locke killed my brother. Could you do something about that? And then you've seen the Saeed backstory. That's a good, really good point about that. And you're like, oh, shit, Saeed's going to kill him. Like, yeah. he'll definitely do it. I, get, um, uh, Maggie, mm, I forget the actress's name. Whatever, Shannon. Who plays Shan- uh, Maggie something. Maggie. Who plays Shannon? I'll look yeah, it up. Okay. Maggie. she been in anything? She's in those Taken movies. Oh, really? Yeah. Is she the, the daughter? daughter? Mm-hmm. Oh. Maggie, what are they Gyllenhaal? But it definitely it's not that obvious. <laughs> Maggie Grace, Shannon. Nope, that's her name on the show. Maggie Grace. Maggie Grace. Uh, anyway, I, I, I actually think she delivers that line uh, about like, could you do something about that really well? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think she is you know in the top tier of actors on this show normally. Partially because I think her character is sort of you know purposely meant to be shitty, so it's hard to like appreciate someone who is like annoying and their character was meant to be annoying um but i think that line like similar to when jack says like i'm going after Locke." like i, I don't know I, I just thought it was, it was whoa she's in she's in twilight 
in the later movies, I think. I'm going to watch those one day. All at once. That's the only way to watch them. I, just to watch I'd all probably, I'd probably watch those with you. That'd be fun. That'd be a fun to do with Dave Lang, don't you think? Yeah. If, we just, if I just keep saying out loud that I'm going to do DVD commentary tracks with Dave Lang, despite mm-hmm. not running the idea by Dave Lang, mm-hmm. it'll just happen. Okay. Dave Lang has not come to this office yet, either. No. You know, he, he's busy, man. He travels He's, a lot. like, down the street. Yeah, he lives like five five feet away. Yeah, boy, she uh, she was in Californication. She hasn't done a lot of TV. She's done a lot of movies. Body double in Californication. She's naked in that show, but not naked in that show. It's good that you know that. I can't remember. It was in her like a Wikipedia thing because she was like has like an ex- she's like uh, like one of those actresses Whoa! that has like an explicit. Shh. I'm sorry, Patrick. Clause. This is way bigger news mm-hmm. than that. Go. She dated Ian Somerhalder after she. Uh, ah! Yeah. <laughs> so she actually had sex with him then. I, well, I don't know if they had sex. It's just oh, they dated. they did. But I don't know. Is that what people do? <laughs> <laughs> they kissed. All right. Let's, let's at least go that far. Uh, so yeah. She, Grace, she had, that's so creepy to me. Grace and Ian Somerhalder. She actually had sex with the actor who portrays her brother that she fake had sex with in the show. So this is after when, the show, and now he's in the Vampire Diaries? That's the show after he's After he had left Lost. He went to the Vampire Diaries. They started dating. Yeah. And she was asked about him and said, Ian's great. I adore him. Although I'm only 22, far too young to even think about having a serious relationship. So they were banging. Weird. Okay. I'm sorry. Now I'm reading. Wait, what? Hmm. Then she dated the guy who made Tom's Shoes. Who? The guy who made Tom's shoes. Who's Tom's shoes? Tom's shoes, the little fabricy, the fabricy garbage shoes that Brent wears all the time. <laughs> I don't know. What those you are. know what they are? They're those. Tom's I'm sure, I seen them. I saw. Like, they're I, these, I, they're I, these flimsy pieces of trash that you wear on your feet, <laughs> and whenever you buy one, they give one to uh, a kid in the third world. Oh, okay. So it's Sounds like the most, like a pretty terrible business model. It's like the well, I admire the spirit of it, but it's like the last thing that people in the third world need is one of your garbage shoes that last a week. Hipster. <laughs> piece of cloth that you wrap around your feet like these people's lives are hard enough don't give them our uh, our, our our worst shoes give them our uh election t-shirts instead um wow okay, okay anyway wow a lot of uh big big news about maggie we can, grace. we'll do a section on maggie grace at a later that's I, actually it i just finished the wikipedia oh, okay <laughs> I don't know what we were talking about. Uh, we Jack tells- got Jack Jack got knocked out. Right. Oh, and then uh, so uh, Jack wakes up and the guns are missing. And uh, right, that's right. And Shannon took it and she's mad at uh, Locke. Which is and a she continuity point- error that we'll get to later. Oh, interesting. And uh, she points the gun at Locke and says, uh, "By I don't know, I I'm going to shoot you." And then Saeed's oh. like, don't, don't do it. You should have been a writer on Lost. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, I feel like I'm really spinning a yarn here. Saeed's like, don't do it. Oh, and that was actually, this is pretty funny. He's like, you've never even shot a gun before. And then, yeah. pow, she shoots it right into the ground. That yeah, was That was cool. really great. That was a good little moment. And I thought it was uh, nice because, you know, like I was saying before, that up until these sort of moments, like, you don't really, she doesn't come across as an appreciably good actress because mm-hmm. she's given a character that's, intentionally annoying mm-hmm. um and then moments like that i think are just nice because they they give a lot more uh they flesh out the character in a way that's really interesting which is like well, maybe she knows some more shit than we 
give her credit for. Yes. Or that she's also, you know, a lot of what the show has been doing since the first episode is trying to, they started her as the flimsy blonde girl. And it's like, yes, that's true, but, yeah. and then I like the, all the stuff they're adding after, but. Yeah, she, she's surprisingly competent uh, at, you know, stealing the guns. Like, when, when it comes down to it, like, she can take care of herself. Yeah. Uh, so, and then, uh, what, uh, Saeed, uh, dives in and gets the, wrestles the gun away and she gets one shot off and it just grazes lock. Um, kind of goes by his head or Yeah. It's just face. like, just, just nicks him right in the forehead and, Which uh, means he would have killed that dude. <laughs> yes. I think she had a dead on shot. Yes. Um, and, uh, is that the end of the episode? And then she storms off. Oh, and then the, that's right. And then, uh. Saeed and Locke, who have been talking about you know all the stuff, the hatch and the relationship with Boone, and the, that Locke had the gun from the pilot, and they've been going all over all the the secrets. Uh, they're like at a campfire at night, and Saeed's like, "Okay, now you're going to take me to the hatch." And Locke's like, "What hatch?" And Saeed's like, "Enough bullshit, take me to the hatch." It's a re- it's a really fucking good scene, yeah, because it he's you know, and again, I think this you know, fits into a little bit we were struggling to articulate, and then I think we're maybe connecting the dots a little better now is. Uh, he didn't do what he normally does, which is go to bat for the woman that he cares for, right? Like, he didn't do what Shannon wanted him to do. Yes. Um, and now that he didn't, he, he seems to be trying to making up some ground. And I, the, the But he sort of does, though, because he actually does go oh, he's investigate. Being, he's totally being reasonable. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, I, but I'm, I guess what I'm saying is, like, now he's pissed off. Yes. And I love the way that he just cuts right through lock like yeah. just not you know everyone else is scared of him mm-hmm. right like or everyone else just doesn't understand him or doesn't have anything to do with him like there's no reason for sawyer and lock to have any interactions i mean so those are those are maybe the two comparable characters that could go toe to toe and then saeed is just a guy that like you know because they have a couple conversations on their way to the plane um in which lock is just tr- dismisses the hatch mm-hmm. like he he's asked about it he says oh he must have he must have meant the hatches in the plane, uh, and and then I think Said must like must have just mental noted that and was like, yeah, yeah, you bullshit. know, Said is Locke is a is a bit of a phony, um, not great at lying. Well, in in all, he wants to be cool jungle survival guy, but he's not. He's a bo- he's box he's the box man, right? Yep. He's like the he's this kind of hapless sad guy who's had a shitty life. So he's he's a bit of a phony, and Said's the real deal. And one of the differences between, you know, in terms of, like, being a, a grizzled uh, survivalist uh, badass, one of the differences between being a phony and being the real deal is if you're the real deal and you've really been through some shit and you know what you're doing, you do not desire that. You want to not have conflict and be in, like, a survival situation. Uh, it's kind of, you know, part, part of the hallmark of Locke being a bit of a phony, uh, uh, in this case at least, that he really wants to do the walkabout and, and he wants to have this, like, you know, serious experience. Saeed's had it and he doesn't want it. Uh, but when, well, they're, also when, they're up, when, when they're up against each other like this, it's just a great dynamic because Saeed knows what's up. Like, there's no bullshitting Saeed about, be, about being a tougher bat. guy. He got his head bashed in by this dude, too. Yeah. It's like, you know, like the connecting tissue here is that, yeah. like, is Locke confessing and saying, all right, dude. I hit you in the head with a rock. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Saeed, like, has not only a grudge against him as a result of the girl he's now seeing, but also a personal grudge because, lo- like, this is the first time other than Boone who was sort of spoon, was eating this bullshit up. Um, no one else has been exposed to uh, Messiah 
believe in the island of prophecy, mm-hmm. John Locke, right. um, also known as Esteban, um, as, as I'm <laughs> now going to call him. Yeah. Um, Esteban version of Locke, uh, in which he you know, believes the island brought them here. They have oh, to that's stay so here. Funny. Uh, so Saeed just has a lot of reasons to not care about Locke. And what's nice is that it's this, it's this moment where you're just – what is in that? Like, what's going on with that hatch? Like, why? Like, I want someone else to find this yep. hatch. And now you have a guy who's going to get shit done. Saeed's so, so literally saying the one thing I, I want. I, I, I would do anything at this point as a viewer of the series. Just please go back to the hatch and get the fuck in there and find out what's yeah. in there. And Saeed's saying it. He's like, no more bullshit. Let's go look at this hatch. Yep. And you're like, yes, that is all I want. And if anyone's going to get that hatch open, Saeed is going to get that hatch open. He'll figure it out. Or he'll... Have he'll be sad and uh, storm off into the jungle, but one of those two. Someone else is going to know what the hatch. Yeah. All right, let's do our trivia. I'm I'm excited to get to spoiler chat today because I want to talk about this uh, the article. Uh, okay, so uh, this comes courtesy as always from Lostopedia. Uh, an apparent continuity error arises when Shannon is shown the location and purpose of the Halliburton case key when only Kate, Locke, and Jack, around whose neck it was kept, has been shown to have this knowledge. It's not until a later episode that we find out the reason blank, 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 blank. Uh, the Sydney Opera House is bl- briefly seen in the background when Saeed and Assam uh, are playing soccer. Uh, the episode was... Why reviewed- is that a trivia? It's just the continuity errors are kind of interesting. When they because they're not supposed to be... Aren't they in Australia? Um, maybe... Well, um, maybe... Well, th- I think it might... Oh, because I think they're supposed to be playing near like the, the mosque or something like that. I don't know. I don't <laughs> <Okay>. know. <laughs> This episode was originally titled Sides. The season one Blu-ray release notes this is on the menu screen with AKA Sides next to the title. Sides. I guess choosing sides? Like essentially like right, imply, sides. Imp- implying the things are kind of happening now. The, uh, and also now my favorite trivia, which is not really trivia, but this episode introduces Boone and Shannon's theme, which appears on the season one soundtrack as Booneral. Boo. <laughs> Boone. Booneral. There you go. Look at that. The soundtrack also includes shenanigans from this episode, a variation on Locke's second theme. Shenanigans. I'm just going to open. Hold on. I'm going to lost season one. These are so bad. Soundtrack. Did you see what uh, Michael G. uh, Giacchino uh, posted for the, the first track from Jurassic World? No. Let me oh, I, is he, he, I didn't even know he was doing the music for that. That's cool. Uh, Instagram. Let me pull it up. As the Jurassic World turns. <laughs> so bad. All right. Let's... Uh, come, come hell or high slaughter. <laughs> All right. I am going to end this episode before we do any more of these puns. The island. Mm. E-Y-I. Because mm. it's Jack's eye that opens up in the first episode. Mm. All right. Uh, next week, we're going to be watching... Charlie Hangs Around. Uh, <laughs> uh, when he gets hung by Ethan. Uh, uh, all right. I don't even want to do any more episodes. Next week, we're watching The Greater Good, which is... Thinking Clearly. Wait a minute. We're not watching The Greater Good, are we? No. That can't be right. Uh, I guess I didn't change it. Um, Wait. This is The Greater Good. We can't watch this one again. Uh, probably not. 
This is a disaster. Uh, Patrick, born to run. Born to run. Is that a Kate? Sounds like a Kate. That sounds like a Kate. Episode. She loves Kate running episode. away from things. Yep. Have you known, noticed that about mm-hmm. her character? Mm-hmm. Next week, locked we'll... out again. Oh, because he's locked out of the hatch. Mm-hmm. All right. Next week, we're watching Born to Run. It's our second Kate episode. Uh, very exciting. Everyone loves Kate flashbacks and Lost, and uh, it's going to be a great opportunity to see Kate uh, running away from stuff again. Um, classic, great Lost uh, moments. Is this the one with the plane? The I, don't the plane? I, I don't know. I don't know. I. No one could care less about a Kate flashback, unfortunately. Thank you to our sponsor this week, uh, Seanimals. Thank you, Sean. Uh, pleasure to have you. I will put a link to Seanimals in the show notes. Check it out if you have not seen the uh, the Wee Ninjas. Show notes for this episode and every episode are available at rewatchpodcast.com. As always, you can email us your questions or comments at rewatchpodcast.gmail.com. I, this week, I would love to know what you think of the uh, Javier uh, uh, Grio Mark's Watch uh, article. Please uh, let us know what you, what you made of that. Thank you, as always, to our editor, Kara, for doing an amazing job uh, with the episode. Thank you to Steve Fobwash Kim for artwork. Thanks to Dose One for our theme music. You can find his work, including his ringtone of the month, at dose1.bandcamp.com. And we will see you next week uh, after this spoiler chat. Bye! Spoiler chat. How good was this article? It's really good. I need to read the second half. You haven't finished it? No. Oh, just bombshell after bombshell on this uh, on this podcast. All right. Well, Patrick, uh, just to get us started, uh, Patrick and I have picked out some of our favorite um, uh, our favorite little details. Do you want to go first? Uh, yes. Okay. So let's see. Let me pull up. What I um, so we'll just we'll read a couple down. of little excerpts and then. Um, Talk about some of the, um, the like the big ideas for this thing. We do. Uh, so I, it turns out I have a mutual friend with uh, Javier Grio Marks Watch, and I'm going to see if I can get in touch with him and invite him to uh, uh, join us on the podcast. No promises, but uh, that would be shot. fucking awesome. Uh, so uh, one of the lines that I pulled out are uh, paragraphs I pulled out. Uh, as a result, even though J.J. and Damon had sold a show about a uh, mysterious tropical island full of polar bears and patrolled by a free-roaming cloud of sentient smoke we had a continually promised during the show's development, the filming of the pilot, and even well into the first and second season, that all or most our sci-fi would be grounded, believable, Michael Crichton-esque that could be proven plausible through extra- extrapolation from hard science. Of course, it was a blatant, shameless lie told to network and studio executives in the hopes that either blazing success or crashing failure would eventually exonerate us from the responsibility of explaining the scientifically accurate manner in which the man-eating cloud of sentient smoke actually operated. Nonetheless, the onus was on us to generate tons of exciting stories that could stand on their own without leaning too hard on genre. And in television, there's only one way of doing that, having great characters who are interested uh, interesting to watch as they solve problems on screen. So while we routinely, routinely discuss such genre questions as what is the island, we also ask ourselves, who are these people? Why are they on the plane? And why are they interesting company on a desert island? Which I I think every that whole bit explains everything about why the show, so the show was such a success, which is that there were all these interesting genre questions and stuff they were questioning and figuring out, uh, but ultimately they were telling a show about interesting characters that you could have maybe plopped anywhere and might and, have still been cool. You know, as their break, so, you know, in, in, I really got the sense that they had to keep this charade going for the network, that it wasn't like a bunch of crazy sci-fi bullshit happening on the show, that it was, you know, just this this uh, island story, with this character story with these guys on an island. Um, 
And I think they really had to break difficult stories about survival, about, you know, getting food and water and medicine and things like that. And that's what I like about these early seasons of Lost, uh, that they that they had to really work to get those stories. And I think that for me, the show falls apart after they get the supplies from the hatch and in the later seasons where it just you, they, you just assume, like, I guess they just get there. They figured it out by this point. But I like the back – I like this – part of it i like that the that this genre stuff is a backdrop to a really great survival story and really great you know politics and and these human stories and it's a thing that i i think battlestar galactica i would hold up as a show that does this much better because even though on battlestar galactica they like advance the mysteries and they advance the mythology and you learn much more about the cylons and the big mysteries of the show they never fully resolve it's always grim they never fully resolve how scrappy the humans have to be and how shitty their lives are and how difficult it is for them to find meaning uh you know just day to day and and survive like they're always running out of something and i love that the show never lets them off the hook like they never move on to more interesting stories like that's the heart of the show is that they're just trying to survive and lost personally for me it lost so much of the fun it was lost Mm. Once they once they were just like I don't know they figured out how to eat the coconuts they never found it after they lost it not really no they they never lost it after they found it no like a lost and found like a found isn't that was that the last episode did they call it found no they didn't it's called the end the end <laughs> found I don't know seems like the kind of thing they do assholes seems like the kind of thing they do if Michael G if Michael Giacchino you know what they should have called it if if he was if he was titling this stuff it would have been called found do you know what they should have called the last episode it's not purgatory wouldn't that have been a good a good uh, title for the episode that would have been pretty good alright I uh, want you to read alright here's my next uh, here's my excerpt I have two okay I've I've got this other one that I want to put oh good okay we'll do two alright so this is uh in answer to the central question that he's kind of posing, which is, uh, did the writers know what they were doing or not? And the answer is, that's not really a sensible question. Like, how did, what does that mean that the writers know what they're doing or have it planned? Like, they have some parts planned and some parts you make up week to week. And that's, it's not as simple as like a yes or no question. So to sort of illustrate that point, he tells the story of how they came up with the story that Locke was in a wheelchair before he was on the island. So it was not until the episode had been plotted that Damon Lindelof rushed into the writer's room and pitched his overnight brainstorm that there should be a sixth sense-like twist, that Locke should be sitting in all of his scenes, and then not until the end we realized he was in a wheelchair all along, adding a layer of cruelty and poignancy to the abuse and skepticism that he suffered from his coworkers. I should add that at this, this is Max, again, not, I'm not quoting at this point. They, add, they, they have set up that they knew Locke was going to be this, like, you know, sort of ineffectual uh, business guy, uh, uh, a kind of weak business guy before he lands on the island. Um, but then Damon had this idea that to really drive that home, he should be in the wheelchair. All right, going back to quoting now. Uh, the wheelchair plot twist would create the shocking series-defining reveal that the island had healed Locke and his transcendence may have been the product of a higher cosmic force at work on the island. Overnight brainstorms were not unusual for Damon, who tended to come up with his best ideas when he'd given a creative foundation and then some time outside of the intellectual blood sport, competitive group therapy, slash competitive group therapy of the writer's room, to cogitate. It was much in the same way that he came up with the idea that Jack's father's casket would be on the plane, but that his body would not be found, leading to occasional appearances on the island by his ghost. The writer's episode, David Fury, initially argued against the lock in a wheelchair twist, which is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. 
uh, he held fast to the contention that he had already rendered a very Willie Loman-esque vision of the story where Locke was a truly tragic figure. In David Fury's arguments, the wheelchair twist was a kind of supernatural crutch that robbed the character of a pathos that felt lived in and real. Being showrunner, Damon eventually prevailed. Being a consummate professional and an exceptional artist, David Fury rendered the story so well that he was not able to deliver, not only able to deliver the twist, but also overcome his own objections and bring Locke all the Willie Loman-esque tragedy you saw in the story before it went supernatural. As I said before, Locke in a Wheelchair was widely seen as the turning point when Lost went from being a hit pilot premiere to being a hit show, and that episode, Walkabout, made our buzz go critical, and it was also the source of an Emmy nomination for David. There is so much there to unpack, but I just I love the idea of that they knew the big point, which was that Locke had been this you know Willie Loman-esque character before he was on the island, and then he comes to the island and becomes kind of a badass. And that one of the things that we all remember, that he's in the wheelchair, is just sort of an afterthought. And in the grand course of the series, that is the the afterthought. Like, the important it thing is, is the twist. character. Yeah, it, it, the important thing is the character growth, and that shit was, was clearly plotted out. Um, I also love the idea of that the crazy quality of the first season and the crazy creativity it comes from these constraints of on the one hand the network saying you cannot do the supernatural stuff and on the other hand david lindelof uh damon lindelof saying you have to do this crazy supernatural bullshit that the writers are stuck in the middle of these two forces and in order to make everyone happy they're just turning out just great fucking writing just want they just have to sell the shit out of this stuff enough that they can thread the needle between it being you know, believable for the network, deliver the plot twist that Damon Lindelof wants. Like that is a, that is the kind of creative constraint that leads to these like genius solutions, like the way that Walkabout was written. Well, it's it's interesting because there's another bit in in there where they talk about the process of figuring out the mythology, um, in which they Damon Lindelof, and I think this is one of the things that like set, should set you at ease when you think about whether the show had a plan, was like, didn't have a plan at day one, but one of Dan Lindelof's rules, and he he does point out when he's writing the story that he can't speak to how the process was post-season two, so this could have changed. But at least in the, the early days, uh, nothing rooted in the mythology, no question was raised without there being an answer for it uh, at the time. Didn't mean that answer couldn't change or that they might come up with a different way of explaining it, but they wouldn't introduce something into the story without this is we feel confident in being able to answer it in this fashion so for example they point out uh that jj abrams really wanted the hatch in the pilot he was yep. like adamant that the, the 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 hatch was gonna be in the pilot and damon lindelof said no and then at, you know once jj departed and was just a producer on the series and damon lindelof took over jj kept saying put the goddamn <laughs> hatch in the show yeah. like it's such a compelling idea to just have this weird hatch in the middle of this island and damon kept saying no unless you can tell me what's in the hatch they so they had come up already with this construct of the medusa corporation Mm -hmm. which is what would become the dharma Mm -hmm. um initiative um and so they had this idea they were experiments on the island and and they even knew about the valenzetti equation the idea that they were or not exactly that but the idea that they were trying to save the world yeah and that they were this uh uh Freeman, uh, or not, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, a Buckminster Fuller-esque, Buckminster Fuller uh, uh, a futurist 70s uh, crackpot science yeah. organization. Like they had all, so much of this stuff figured out. And, and 
It wasn't until there's a moment that's actually pretty similar to what Damon Lindelof just busted into the writer's room. He busted into the writer's room one day and just said, no, I got. I have this one. Let me read. Let me just read do the quote because okay. that was my, this is my second one, and I, I was going to say the same the same exact point about it. Uh, so, quoting uh, again from this article. Uh, so they, they're talking about that they didn't know exactly what was in the hatch, and he goes, "I believe that my idea was that it led to the conning tower of a nuclear submarine that had run aground and been buried in an epic mudslide." And I thought this could be a rich area for stories about salvaging equipment, loose nukes, and such things. As we trudged through the first half of season one, Damon rushed into the writer's room one day with an uncharacteristic bounce in his step and declared, inside the hatch, there's a room with a guy in it, and if he doesn't press a button every 108 minutes, the world will end. Like, holy shit, that's amazing that that just fully formed. But also, it speak, they couldn't have gotten there without what they had before, which is that they'd already discusses for any equation idea that there's a, a group that's trying to prevent the end of the world um and so like they have that sort of like larger framework it's not in the show yet but that's the idea they're running with which allows them to come up with an explanation for the hatch and then the hatch will allow them to come up with the idea that there are different hatches and you know like then they you see how they build on those ideas in which it's not fully formed but they start with a idea and then go from there. And I just think that's – I think it's wild that he just literally came up with that like fully – that's essentially – you know, it's not fully formed end goal. But like that's a pretty mm-hmm. concrete idea up front that they more or less stay true to. I, I like the – by the way, I thought that – I think the nuclear submarine idea is cool. It is cool. I think that's a – I think that would have been a – I would have been – It would have been more in line with what you wanted the show to do more of that it got away from. Basically – the hatch is where the show diverges, mm-hmm. right? Like the the hatch is the moment that the show leaves behind survival, yes, and then becomes more about the island, yep, um, and its mysteries and its weirdness and its history. Uh, and whereas, as if that had been a sub, then it would have forked, and they still might have gotten to that other stuff. But then the hatch would have it probably would have happened later, and the hatch would have been more about like, what do you do when there's like materials in there? But you, who's going to get exposed to radiation? Send the dog. <laughs> Um, all right, so then I've got this quote that uh, – to many, uh, all that I've written may still not answer the question. Did we know what we were doing? We are just making them as we go along. The truth is complicated, isn't it, dear reader? And it's only going to get more so. The idea that there's a simple truth about the creation of Lost also begs two additional questions. Did we know what the island was and was it purgatory? If that's what you're here to find out, let me dispense with those quickly as you probably feel I've already wasted enough of your time. As I described before, there was definitely a sort of operational theory for what the island would be. It was liked by some and loathed by others. And since Damon and Carlton chose to not say it out loud in the series finale, I won't presume to do it for them. Suffice to say, there was a concrete reason that we openly discussed on several occasions why the island had an exotic source of power in its core that was able to wreck such miracles as time travel, the motion of the island, and somehow connect with selected people on a psychic level. On uh, question number two, it was not purgatory. It was never purgatory. It will never be purgatory. <laughs> I just think it's so interesting. But I think it might still be purgatory, though. <laughs> I mean, that, I think – is it clear – I think there's still some signs, you know? Oh, fuck you. I think it's so interesting that they actually do – he essentially reveals here that they have, like, a concrete explanation for what the island is. Is or at least they had an idea that they would work around so that they could explain the fiction to themselves, even if they were never explain it to the audience. And that I think it's cool. While also it drives me nuts that he refuses to just flat out 
say what it is. But but I, I like that he respects the autonomy, but it also makes me think that at some point someone's just going to say it, right? Like, if he's put out in the world that there's X number of people that know what this is, someone's going to fucking spill it. Some, someday this stuff is probably going to come out. I mean, especially because I think it's proven in in the popular culture like this article was massively viral and i saw it on my on my twitter feed a lot like my entire feed for a day was just like did you read this article this seems like an article for you yep. you should read this article yep. it's like yep i'm i'm working on it uh, and uh, by the way still have not read it still have not read it no. still have not finished well, it but it, uh, it wasn't 100 people it was 99 so okay. come on uh, it it just this Lost is still very much part of the collective unconscious and like the pop culture, you know, consciousness. Mm-hmm. So this stuff, people are interested. This stuff, I agree, this stuff will come out. But I also think the reason he's not saying is because it probably sounds pretty lame. It's probably like, you know, I mean, I'm filling in some blanks here from, from what he says in the article. But it sounds like they had the idea that there's this ancient, you know, uh, possibly struggle like, between good and evil. Yeah, the, 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 Possibly these, these ancient, in some way spiritual. Yeah. Exactly, and that that played out through a variety of civilizations. Like it meant one thing to the Greeks, and it meant, you know the ancient uh, Egyptians, and one thing to the ancient Greeks. You see a lot of this stuff in the island, and now it's like in the modern day, and you're going to see a little drama, a little tragedy about these people who crash on the island, and they're torn between these forces of good and evil. And they set that up very clearly in the pilot, where Locke holds up the you know two sides, one good and one mm-hmm. one black and one white. Like that's very clearly telegraphed the mythology of the of the series. Uh, in that one shot. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else to say about this? Uh, we'll put the we'll put the link again in the show notes. It's really good. Yeah. Good read. Uh, I, I, you know, if you're interested in, you know, the behind the scenes and and the thought process, I, I, I think this. It also makes me feel even better about what I've always argued about the show in the past. That I think people give the show too much shit for uh, this idea of making up things as you go along because. Right. Any creative process is a mixture of a good idea that you make better or a bad idea that you make good. It's ultimately like I think after reading this, I do I actually do have a sense that they knew a surprising more than I would have thought. They the, knew the whole a Medusa lot of it. Corporation stuff was like wow, and yeah. then the, the idea that they had the the equation like mm-hmm. like and the idea that like there was a struggle between good and evil that took place in this island. It's like. Okay, like yeah. if if you want to think of like in broad strokes, what explains everything that's going on? Like mm-hmm. that's everything. Like yeah. yeah, you can you know niggle over like some really small stuff, and it doesn't answer every yeah. little. Do they, question. Do they know what would happen with the dog in the last? How did they like, get yeah. food? You know, how is right. food being delivered to the island? Right. Like blah 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 blah. Like there's all sorts of like smaller questions. Right. Like big picture, what <laughs> is lost? Like it's a struggle between good and evil. There's a mysterious source of that. It's never it, really explained. It ultimately <laughs> it just makes me. F- feel like some of the problems of lost storytelling um, throughout the show are really the result of this fight with the network over how many episodes they would have. Because even though they had this roadmap um, and they knew pretty clearly where they wanted to go and what the big beats of the story would be in all this and what was going to happen with the characters, uh, they had no idea. It's like, how do you know when you're in the beginning, middle, and end if you don't know how many episodes you're going to be on for? Uh, And I can see their frustration of being expected to know where this stuff is all going, but also not being able to pin it to any sort of, you know, realistic um, timeline or or anything uh, like that. And uh, that must have been really difficult for them. And I I can see it gives me a very clear idea of why they fought so hard for that end date uh, around season three when when things were dragging and they were in the cages. Anything else? No. All right. Let's uh, go. It's a long episode. It's probably our longest episode. Let's go eat some pizza. No, it just felt long. Really? 
Let's see where we're at here. Time. An hour and a half, right? Oh, my goodness. Two hours and 15 minutes? Yeah, that's the longest episode. That is our five. longest episode ever. Holy crap. I told you. It's 6.45. Woo! 